Good morning. Hey, last week I uh, think I unintentionally created some angst around here when I talked about someone who was missing a Bible, and we did find the owner of that Bible, which is cool, but um, I talked about Greg found it in his office, and he's been cleaning out his office little by little because he's retiring at the end of the year, and either people forgot that Greg is retiring at the end of the year, or someone, someone thought maybe we were trying to get rid of him early. No. No, Greg came to us last summer, came to me last summer and said, hey, this is what we're thinking about retirement. And then we talked to the leadership um, in, in September last year, made some plans, announced in January of this, this year. And it's COVID has made it so some of us don't see it. So it feels like we just heard that he was retiring at the end of the year. He gave like a 10-year notice. <laughs> I, think, I think 12 minutes is, or 12 months is enough, but... Um, so he's just taking inventory when he sees in his office, he's like, I have limited space at home. I, I'm going to, some things I'm going to give away, some things I'm going to toss, some things I'm going to take with me. That's all that's going on. Um, I love him and he's my brother and I don't want him to go. I do not want him to go, but I love him and he's my brother and I want him to spend time with his wife and his grandkids and on his boat and that I had, I don't have an invitation to yet. So uh, I'm going to offer prayer, and then I'm going to give you a little background on Sardis, because the background on Sardis, the, the scripture itself is pretty self-explanatory, but there's some nuances. It's kind of like watching something in uh, standard definition television or HD or even from HD to, uh, to 4K. Uh, if you know a little bit of these, some of these backgrounds and some of the history of Sardis, you'll hear what some of the words that Jesus is saying to them, they'll kind of, oh, there's something more there. So I'll give you a little history. We'll read the passage and then we'll get to the meat of what God is saying to that church and what God is saying to us. So let's, let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for it's hard to thank you for the church of Sardis because they didn't sound like they were being, doesn't sound like they were being very faithful, but I thank you that you love them enough to warn them. Thank you that you love us enough to either encourage us or convict us, whichever it is we need. So Lord, simply put, I'm asking that this, is, this be your message for us, not my message for them. So stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts, speak with my mouth, your words for your people today. And Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear individually and corporately what you want us to see and hear. And most of all, give us hearts to receive your word, whether it pierces or whether it comforts. Either way, Lord, we want to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, some background on Sardis. Sardis was a phenomenal city. It had a rich history and they were known They were known as being a city in the Roman, and keep, keep in mind, this is the Greco-Roman Empire. This is Rome, and uh, this is in Asia Minor, which is what we would call today Turkey. Um, but when, 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 a, when a city is highly esteemed, it's not necessarily for the reasons that we would think a city should be highly esteemed. They were very well known for extensive and kind of a high view of paganism. So all, they were very good at worshiping all the gods of Rome, or at least most of them. They had their, their, their kind of city's god, but they, they, they had, you know, temples and, uh, and, and shrines to many different gods, including the emperor himself. So they were, they were very highly esteemed. The other thing that, that made them so highly esteemed is that in their glory days, uh, their great leader, I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm sorry, but... 
I'm going to say Crucis, but it's C-R-O-E-S-U-S. Uh, he, he grew that city big time. I mean, they used to be up on a hill, uh, maybe up on a mountaintop, um, and they outgrew it. So they had to, they had to kind of rebuild down in a valley because they had gotten so big. They had this fortress up on the hill that was so impregnable that that city was never, ever taken down by conventional military means or might. They were taken down twice. That's some of what Jesus is speaking to, um, but not by conventional military means. They were not overrun. They were snuck up on. So some things you should know. Number one, Jesus says, you think you're alive, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. So that's coming from the one who was dead and is now alive, Jesus. So the other thing that you should know is that if, if you're in Acropolis, or excuse me, if you're in Sardis and you hear this alive and dead thing, they kind of pride themselves in this huge, this very visible mountain that, that their city used to be on, but they're down in this valley and they look up and the primary mountain they can see and they can see it in all of its glory is called Acropolis, which is the mountain of life. But almost as visible, just off in the distance, is Necropolis, which is the mountain of death. And so when Jesus is speaking, just like he does with the church in Laodicea, when he talks about you're neither hot nor cold, you're, you're kind of tepid, so I spew you out of my mouth. Um, you'll learn about that when we get to that church. There's something about them and where they get their water that Jesus is speaking to. So he's almost always speaking in the context with which they may understand. So what's going on here is they understand life and death, but they think of themselves as life, as alive. And they have a great reputation as a city, but those are the glory days. They don't live that way anymore. The other thing um, to know is that when Jesus says, and I'm telling you some of these things in advance so that when you hear it for the first time, you'll, it, it'll jump off the page a little bit. Jesus says, if you don't turn around, if you don't repent, if you don't change your ways, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. Now, some of us, that sounds like the end of days, right? You know, Jesus is going to come. No one can predict the hour that I would come. But otherwise, we kind of go, Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night? Jesus calling himself a thief? It's kind of a head scratcher. But if you know how they were overrun twice, they heard what Jesus was saying. They were overrun twice in the following way. Cyprus, Cyrus, excuse me, the king of Babylon, he, he came in to take the city of Sardis. And so, but he couldn't get, he couldn't break down the fort. He couldn't, it was too fortified. They couldn't do it. So the people in Sardis are perfectly safe as long as they have provisions. So they set up a siege, but they had um, guards, people, people on watch, the, the Persians, they had people on watch to watch to see if there's ever a time when they're at week, when the, when the sardines, the sardians are not, if they're not, if they're not ready, maybe we can, we can do something. So one of these soldiers is watching and one of the, one of the soldiers of Sardis is up on top of the wall and he's looking down and his helmet fell off. His helmet fell off and fell all the way to the ground. So this soldier just hid away. He watched. And after a little while, he sees this soldier kind of walk out of a door down low pick up his helmet and then walk back up without reporting to his commanding officer, put his helmet back on and he kept his watch. Well, that tells them that there's a secret way in. So what do they do? They send their army a couple of nights later, they send their army over to the other side or at least parts of their army on the other side to kind of create a kerfuffle and all the guards all go that way because we have to defend against this spot. And the rest of the army came in through that secret door. Same thing happened with Alexander the Great. He came in and because the, the, the city was under siege, um, <laughs> excuse me, uh, 
they, whenever someone would die in the city, they, 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 didn't, they couldn't take him out and bury him, so they threw him over the wall. And one of the soldiers saw them throw a body over the wall into this graveyard. And they didn't keep watch and they didn't guard that part of the city because it stank. It was nasty smelling because of the rotting corpses. So they created a kerfuffle and they came in, they sneaked in um, over by the graveyard. So that is a huge embarrassment. Those are two very embarrassing eras for the city of Sardis. Now keep in mind that these cities are city-states. Yes, they are ruled by Rome, but they each have their own ruler and there are many civilizations. So Ephesus has a different culture than Sardis that has a different culture than Philadelphia. So they're all, they're all kind of their own thing. And that's something important to keep in mind that as the church goes, so goes the civilization. You remember in the first part of this, of this series, we talked about the fact that, that the two churches that Jesus lifted up the most, that he had the most praise for, when Domitian came and started taking down all these cities, the two churches that had been most faithful and that Jesus had the most praise for, those cities lasted longer under the siege and attack of Domitian than any of the others by far. And the two churches that he has the harshest things to say, the harshest words for, they disappeared even just a couple of years, not just the church, but the city disappeared just a year or so after the authorship of the book of Revelation. So they didn't do what Jesus had called them to do. And it, because the church went down, the civilization went down. So we're going to have a sermon on that in a couple of weeks, just a one-off sermon on the importance of the church in culture and civilization. And I, I encourage you, if you can't be here, to listen to that, because it is, it is something we are way more important than we think to our civilization. So let's read this passage. I think you have, you have enough there. Alexander the Great, Cyrus, thief in the night. Thief in the night is those people that kind of snuck in. Here's what Jesus says. He says, to the angel in the church of Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. You might remember that the seven stars are the seven angels of these seven churches. When you hear seven spirits, it, it kind of shows up in Revelation. But if you think seven Seven is plural, so you have to say spirits in English. But seven spirit, it's the spirit of wholeness. It's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's most likely what Jesus is referring to when he says, the one who holds the Holy Spirit. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, Acropolis. But you're dead, Necropolis. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know, you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, they will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who over, overcomes will, like them, meaning the people that have not soiled themselves, and, and they will walk with me in white. Those of you who are messing up and repent and come back to me, he who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will, will, will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oof. 
you're dead. Wake up. By the way, this word wake up in Greek is watch. Watch. It's reminiscent of those soldiers that were supposed to be on watch but didn't pay attention to the people that threw the body over and then went away from that part of the wall. They weren't watching to see what might be happening. He's telling them to wake up, to remember who they are and whose they are, to, to go back to where they heard the gospel preached the very first time and what it meant to them and, 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 and embrace it. But what they've done is little by little, just like the Jewish people in Sardis, and we're pretty sure that the Christians were kind of under the protection as a Jewish sect, they were kind of under the protection of the Jews. But here's what had been going on in that culture. For decades, if not a hundred, hundreds of years, when they moved the city from the mountain down to the valley, the, the Jews got to, uh, to build a new synagogue. And it was one of the largest synagogues in all of what we call Turkey. It was a football field in length. And even on the altar in the synagogue were, were, not, were not pictures or reliefs of, of the Ark of the Covenant, but the Roman eagle and even some of the mosaics on the floor were Roman symbols, not God symbols, not Hebrew symbols, not Israelite symbols. They were, they were symbols of Rome. And in the marketplace, you can see a Jewish uh, a star of David in a little place where they were in the market and right next to a Christian cross, right next to uh, 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 someone who represents the, I don't remember her name, but the goddess of fertility and intimacy. What scholars have learned, and what one, one guy, he's a president of a seminary, he says it this way. They were part of a culture that they just got along. Go along, get along. Don't raise any ruckus. Keep your head down. If, it, if, if you need to participate a little bit in the god-awful things that they're doing to get along, participate in the god-awful things that they're doing. It's funny that the Jews built their synagogue right next to the gymnasium. Now, we think of a gymnasium like the basketball court in the other room, but to them, the gymnasium was the centerpiece of Roman culture, where outside of the gymnasium, men and women alike would go through and do athletic games in the nude. Now, when they would, and they, they, they kind of worship the human form, and okay, that's an ancient civilization. We get that that, that can be different than, than how we might be. But when they went into the gymnasium, if I told you some of the things that they did, if I even spoke them, you would cover your children's ears. So the fact that the Jews built their, their, their synagogue, their place of worship, the place where they're lifting up the Most High God, right next to the place where the most unthinkable things were done in this city. They should have, if anything, especially because the Jewish mentality was to be separate. They weren't. Neither were the Christians. The Christians did what they needed to do to get along. They dirtied themselves. There's an old proverbial saying that if you wrestle with a pig in the mud, you're going to get dirty. And the pig doesn't care. They were dirtying themselves, probably little by little at first, then more and more. And then they became indistinguishable from the rest of the culture. So the only way you could tell that they were Christian is whether or not they were wearing a cross or they were in a building that had a cross. But this city has a long history, a great reputation of being alive and vibrant. And Jesus speaks to that. And he says, you, you have a reputation, you have a name of being alive, but I know you're dead. He doesn't say you're dying. He says you're dead. And then he calls out a few. And he says, some of you in Sardis, 
have not sullied yourselves, have not dirtied yourself. I will walk with you. It's reminiscent of, of like when we think of Olympic games um, and you stand up on the podium and you get your medal and your national anthem plays. And then at the closing ceremonies, the people that they're wearing the medals and all the people are with them. Back then when a champion would come, if you were in war and you went off and you conquered someone, whoever the general was would come back with all of his soldiers and they would robe them in white because white is the color of victory and championship. So if you, won the, what, if you won the marathon, you would put on a white robe, you'd get your, your, your crown of holly or the, the leaves, and, you, and the whole place would come out and they would lift you up. Jesus is saying, if you've remained faithful, that is how I will treat you. And then he says, and, my, and I will acknowledge you before my father and your name will not be blotted out of the, of, of the book of life. Now, you may not know this, but if you were a Roman citizen and you messed up, Immediately before and publicly before they executed you, they blotted your name out of Roman citizenship rolls. So to them, publicly, before you die, you know that you're considered to have never existed in Rome. Jesus is saying, careful. And we would argue, and pastors get like this, so do you, that once saved, always saved. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that Jesus will ever leave or forsake us, ever. But you better be saved. He's telling them, almost like the first church in the book of Revelation, you've lost your first love. You're no longer holding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're no longer treating Jesus as if he's your only Lord and Savior. You're now participating in all kinds of other things that are not of me. And so I declare you dead and you have a chance to stop, to reconsider, to repent, and then to overcome. That's what he says to the church. But if you notice, he calls out individuals. He talks about those that have not sullied themselves and he talks about those who will repent. So I'm gonna do that right now, individuals. I do not believe that this church is a dead church. I don't know of any pastor that would, though, because they're the ones speaking it, right? But I, I, I think we hold true to the Scriptures, that we believe the Scriptures mean what they meant, and we don't compromise those. We will tell you the hard things when they need to be heard. We, we, we will communicate to you um, conviction and, and, uh, and, and exhortation, not just comfort and mercy, We'll, we'll talk, we'll try to, we try to declare the entire ma uh, manifold wisdom of God. But it's a team effort. I played football when I was a kid before my shoulder started coming out of joint. I have two experiences in football that, that make me think of this. Because there's the team and then there's the player. And I made a, I messed up one time playing. I was, a, I was a tight end. I'm really slow. But I have good hands. But I'm really, I mean, slow enough that at senior year of baseball, I had two stolen bases. They were both pass balls. They went all the way back to the fence. The catcher had to get up and run back and get it. And, he threw, and I still had to slide. I'm slow. I got thrown out. No kidding. One hopper to the right fielder. I hit it hard, but one, hard, one, one hopper to the right fielder. I got a good jump off the, out of the batter's box. And he threw me out at first. I'm slow, but I had good hands. And so the coach knew that. He knew not to put me as a wide receiver because there's no trouble covering me. Guy just goes, okay. 
But I could, I, I, quick off the ball, I could pop the, 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 the defensive end and get past him. And then my job on this one pass play was to just, it's just a, just a slant pattern. Just come, hit the guy, come across, and when I get to the middle, jump, and the ball will be waiting. And Dan Clark, the quarterback, he would take the, he would take the snap and he would go like a basketball. And I would go up and I'd catch it, I'd bring it down here, and every single time I landed on that ball, and I didn't have any breath left. So I'd go back to the, hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm good. Just give me a minute. One time, though, we used that play for a two-point conversion. And I went up, and I brought it down, and the guy hit me right there, and the ball went flying. And I ended up on the ground. We didn't get the two points. I run off, a, run off the field. The coach grabs me by the face mask, and he goes, you ever miss another one of those passes again, and you will never play ball for me again. And it spit coming out of his mouth. Face is all red. I'm like, oh, that's the, you're the encouraging type. <laughs> Got it. That's always good. Get up before I kick dirt in your face. Um, and we ended up losing the game. Not by that one point or those two points, but we lost the game. So you think I played, I started next game, or you think I sat? But it's a team effort, but I sat. Why? Because I couldn't be counted on. Same thing. You've, you've been, if you've ever played sports, and I don't care um, if it's a team sport, and, it's, and there's periods or, or, or halves or quarters or whatever it is, there's been a time when your team's down and your coach sits you down in the locker room or in between or when you're off in the, and, and he, it's gut check. That's what my coach used to say. It's gut check time. It's gut check time. Who are you? Do, can you reach down and find it? It doesn't matter what you have. It matters what you have left. You've heard those things. And so you're like, oh, we got to get out there. We got to get, and you get all fired up. But he's talking to the team but if there's one person that's messing up, he will either sit them or he will pull them aside and threaten them. Jesus is talking to the church, but he's talking to individual persons. Are you alive or are you dead? I can't answer that for you, but you know. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Jesus, the one who was dead and is now alive, is talking to people that think they're alive, but they're actually dead, and he wants them to go from life to death to life again. And he wants the same thing for you. So I'm asking you, as the person who's chosen by God from eternity past to be the one to talk to you about the church in Sardis, I'm asking you to examine yourself. To ask God to give you the courage to show you, to search your heart, to search your soul, to search your spirit. To ask him to show you where you're just getting along. Where you're accommodating culture so much that you're compromising your faith to culture. See, we as a church, not just this one, the church, are crucial to the world. Historically speaking, if you look all the way through Scripture, I haven't found an instance where it's not true in Scripture. If the church is unfaithful, the whole civilization dies. If the church is faithful, civilization's got a shot. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But individually speaking, folks, Remember what scripture says. Jesus says, I'm gonna separate the sheep from the goats. I'm gonna separate the wheat from the chaff. He even told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat and he's allowing it. But he says, I pray that you will persevere. 
Remember when Jesus says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom. Well, Lord, ha, what, ha, who? well, what you do or do not do to the least of these, you do or do not do to me. Well, when did we see you uh, naked or hungry or in jail? Anytime anyone's in need, I'm in need. The other thing that I think in ways, at least for me, where I want to I wanna just, I just want to go along with it is in our culture today, there's enemies. There are people that don't think like me, that don't talk like me, that don't believe like me, and aren't going to vote like me. And I want to see them as my enemy because they're either stupid, uninformed, or evil. And they say the same of me. What does Jesus say? Your battle is not against flesh and blood, but about the principalities and the authorities of the air. Who's our enemy? The enemy is God's enemy. And death. And if you want the sting taken out of death, examine yourselves and ask the Lord if you're in the faith. I'm not pointing a finger at you. I'm being way more gentle than I think Jesus was being to that church. I'm gonna leave you with this. My daughter's listening. I didn't ask permission, but I hope it was kind of funny. She, put, she made a video. She sent it to us and she goes, isn't this hilarious? She's in New Zealand. She's six months pregnant. Her husband went to take a nap and she filmed it. He's sleeping and she walks up and I don't know if you can, it might be hard to hear, but his name is Matthew, Matt. And she walked up and she filmed this and she walked up. He's sound asleep, really quietly, leans over to his ear and says, Matthew. And he goes, he j- j- I mean, it was hilarious. It was, and especially because, I mean, he's like six five. He's a big dude. Nothing really scares him. Um, I don't think that Jesus is saying, wake up. I think he's saying, wake up. It's time. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I'm not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that true? Or are they just words? If they're just words, Jesus calls you by name and he says, wake up. Wake up. Repent. Receive what you received before, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you are doomed without the perfection, the righteousness, and the death of Jesus. He died not just for sin, but for your sin. And he took that sin to hell and he left it there where it belongs. And then he took the sting out of death by being raised from the dead, ascended to the Father, sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he speaks your name to the Father and says, this one's mine. The enemy, both seen and unseen, do not have a claim on you. Only Christ does. Do you receive that, accept that, and hang on to that like like it's everything? Or do you just kind of get along? And I said, whatever. Jesus loves me. He has to because he's Jesus. No, he doesn't. He does love you, but he doesn't have to. He chooses to. He chooses to because you are dear to him. And he has decided that you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. Light disinfects and brings vitamin D. And it is desperately needed for the body to work. 
And salt keeps things preserved and it doesn't rot. This world needs light and salt and you're it. But examine yourself and make sure that you're in the faith. And the only person that can decide whether that's true or not is you and God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with everything you have that you raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room, everyone watching online, either right now or later in the week, that they know you, the one true God. That they were once dead and now are alive and not once alive and now dead. Lord, thank you for calling out that church and calling out us. Give us the courage to examine ourselves and to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. For your sake we pray. And for your glory we pray. Amen.